0: Jimmy, Jimmy Corain, Jimmy Coraine's a nerd, Jimmy Coraine's an improv nerd, Jimmy Corain's a nerd, oh Jimmy Hey everybody, this is Jimmy Corain and you're listening to another episode of Improv Nerd sponsored by Under the Gun Theater. Thinking about coming to Chicago to do an improv intensive this summer? Then I want you to check out Improv Boot Camps at Under the Gun Theater. Improv Boot Camps maximize your reps with smaller class sizes, a team of teachers, and a focus on practicing skills. They have a boot camp just for new improvisers and another for advanced players. This summer, get into the best improv shape of your life with Under the Gun. Go to UnderTheGunTheater.com. That's UnderTheGunTheater.com. And we're also sponsored by Westside Improv Studio. Now, if you love improv and you live in Chicago's western suburbs, then Westside Improv Studio is for you. It's a brand-new improv theater in downtown Wheaton, Illinois, right off the metro. Now, Westside Improv's goal is to provide high-quality, long-form improv shows and classes for people living in Chicago's western suburbs. If you're new to improv... Drop in for one of their free improv classes every Tuesday night from 6.30 to 8, where you'll learn the basic concepts of doing great improv shows all while having fun. Or if you have some improv experience and you don't have the opportunity to play very often, then join the Players Workshop program and get the opportunity to practice once a week and perform once a month on a weekend night in front of a real live audience. Improv nerds living in the western suburbs should definitely come check this out. Check out their website. At WestsideImprov.com. That is WestsideImprov.com. Also, if you're in Chicago on April 25th, that's Saturday, April 25th, I'll be offering an Art of Slow Comedy Intensive. For more information, all you have to do is go to my website jimmycorain.com. That's jimmycorain.com. I, I don't disappoint, do I? I mean, I, I, I come through for you, and, and you're going to, you're, you're really going to be, you're really going to be blown away about today's episode. Our guest today is writer, producer, creator of Transparent, none other than Golden Globe winner, Jill Soloway. We talked to Jill about taking in all of this success and how she's dealing with it, starting out at the Annoyance Theater back in the 90s, where she did shows like The Real Life Brady Bunch and The Miss Vagina Pageant. We talked to her about her creative process and how she really feels about self-promotion. You are going to love this episode, especially if you aspire to be a writer, creator, and producer of television now we were really lucky to get jill as a guest now i've known her since the 90s and she was going to come into chicago for just a couple days i think to speak at northwestern university in evanston which i've mentioned on the podcast before is a suburb outside of chicago where i happen to live with my wife lauren and our cat so jill was going to come over and have lunch and meet my wife and cat and then record this interview and I had a little anxiety about it because I have major food issues, especially when people come over. I always have to make sure you know, it, I have a great spread and there's enough food, because my biggest fear is that we're going to run out of food. So th- those plans changed, and instead, uh, I met her at her hotel. So um, we taped this interview in her hotel room on her queen-size bed. And I, I just want to paint this picture for you. Uh, this is kind of radio of the mind, as we say. Um, She is sitting up towards the headboard where all the pillows are and I am sitting towards the end of the bed and there is a silver microphone and my Apple laptop computer in the middle of both of us so as you can probably figure out we there, there was there's no improv scene in this uh, there's plenty of improv jill's very very funny uh and it, it I, I just wanted to let you know because i feel a little shame about it and it's a little more it's a little more of an intimate setting than we usually do improv nerd and um, you are just going to enjoy this and, and and you know what it, what a better place to have a shame attack than recording the intro of an episode of Improv Nerd. I can't think of a safer place to have a shame attack than here. Here it is. You're going to love this episode. She is so good and so articulate and so honest and so candid about stuff. And uh, I think actually doing it on a bed, uh, we may uh, do more interviews on a bed because I think we got some really great stuff. Here it is, the Jill Soloway episode. Enjoy. Is a nerd, is a nerd, oh yeah, Jimmy's a nerd. You wanted me to ask, wait for this. Are you enjoying your success?
1: Hmm. I am enjoying my success. I'm finding that it has rejiggered my whole way of being in the world. In that, before Transparent, I think everything I said and everything I did was in the hopes that I would get somebody to give me money to make the things I wanted to make, and that other people would see those things and tell me I was good. And now, I have the money I need to make things I want to make, and people said it's good. So now, what am I doing day to day? What am I doing hour to hour?
0: Now, are you somebody, because the thing that I always, uh, because I've known you for a long time, you've always had this confidence. But Do you need people's validation?
1: I think... When, I'm glad that you feel like I've always had confidence. Yeah, I mean, I think when we were doing the Miss Vagina pageant 20 years ago, it was all very much the same feeling as I have right now. I just saw Becky the other night. Becky Thayer. Becky Thayer. We're still, it's almost like I've come back to exactly that. So Becky and I are talking about doing a TV show about Judy Chicago, who did a whole series of plates with vagina themes. And I'm doing crazy, feminist, rabble-rousing, art-making, silly theater. Um, obviously, also making transparent, which is kind of a very successful version of that same thing. But, yeah, I think all of the success has made it so I, I can come back to that place, which is what makes me laugh, what makes my friends laugh, how do I entertain So let's go back to ourselves. the uh,
0: before annoyance. Okay, um, pre-annoyance. Let's pre-annoyance. Let's go back. Yes, pre-annoyance. Because I knew you were <clears throat> dating James Grace.
1: Oh, gosh. Okay. And,
0: yeah. And you were you were a film person. Like, I remember doing a, an independent film that you were uh, being a production assistant. Uh, I know you had worked at Cartemquin for right. a while doing documentaries. Yes. You had done some of your own videos. I think I was in one of those as well. Yes. I wish what, I had it, those. I, th- it,
1: I think my mom threw them out. I think she cleaned out the basement. And I think she called me at some point and said, come get all your stuff. I'm cleaning the basement. I didn't come fast enough, and I think she threw out boxes and boxes of the videotapes that I made with Becky back in the day. Are you
0: over that? Or are no, you... okay. clearly not. Uh, um, so <laughs> at that point, what did you want to do?
1: I wanted to... What did I want to do? It's funny. Like, I realized we were making viral videos, but there was no internet. You know what I mean? Remember yeah. when we were making these things, but there was no, nothing to do with them. It's like there was the independent film world and we were making comedic videos. So yeah, there was this big, you know, is it chasm or chasm?
0: I I don't know. There was a big chasm
1: between people like us who wanted to make stuff and how you actually got it seen. How would we have gotten our, we would put our sketches up at the annoyance or we would maybe call them a film and enter them in a film festival, which I didn't even think to do because we were shooting on video. So I think what we were doing then is very much the same thing, you know. Trying to be ourselves and be funny and have an audience—that's I think what I was trying to do—and and looking for meaning. I mean, I remember Carthamquin was a place where I found meaning because of the people there. They were making documentaries and well, you they were worked doing on hoop dreams. Did you worked on hoop dreams? Which was a great
0: documentary. Great
1: documentary. I just went to Jerry Blumenthal's memorial a couple of days ago.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that he passed.
1: So sad. He was there. Two there were two people there, Jerry and Gordon. And Jerry, they were they were like my mentors and these amazing. Jewy, communisty, lefty, rabble-rousy, filmmakers who cared about art-making, and I think I think when I met Jerry Blumenthal, I decided to go towards Kartemquin Land because it felt like it was about something.
0: Which, um, to me, like, with, let's say, the Miss Vagina pageant, yes, your voice was very clear. You wanted to say something. And people that don't know about the Miss Vagina pageant, it was basically a, a, a satire on beauty pageants. Yes. Um, what is it that you wanted to say with that show? What do we want to say? Yeah. Uh
1: you know, uh what just sort of shine some light through the absolute absurdity of beauty pageants. The fact that beauty pageants are still they're still on television, Jimmy. Women being paraded around in their bathing suits, judged like meat for entertainment. This is absurd. I like
0: Hey, I, but you were always you were always really you like you had a passion. When you would get behind something it had to have it had to say something. Would you say that's yes, true? Yes,
1: I think that's true.
0: You know, and even in transparent and the stuff that you've done yes. before, it has to say something. Yes. Where do you think you got that? That passion? Like it's got to have a message.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I've got a little bit of a little touch of the messiah complex, just a wee touch of the uh, mixed with a little low-level Asperger's. I think makes me really not notice when people don't want me to do something I'm doing. Um, how I mean, do you I miss when people hate me? How do you me?
0: deal with people um, haters? Haters going to hate. Yes, us? yes, because early on you 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 didn't let the haters bother. I'm
1: you. A, I'm am I'm a hater attractor. Right, right.
0: Do you feel
1: that? <laughs> do you feel that? I'm starting to realize that I am. Mm-hmm. And that that's okay, you know. I I think a lot about Obama. You know, when I feel like I'm way too busy. How can I do this? I'm like he's busier
0: mm-hmm. and he's
1: also a human. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I think people are so mean to me
0: on the internet. How like, can I What do, do they this? say to you on the Internet that's so mean?
1: Actually I don't get very much at all. When okay. I think about somebody like Lena Dunham who mm-hmm. gets, you know, just dudes telling her she's unattractive all day long for sport, I don't get mm-hmm. that. Um, what do I get? I, it's so rare that I, I really barely get any of it, but I certainly get my share of criticism from the trans community mm-hmm. because I'm not trans, and I've become a spokesperson for trans people, so there are a fair amount of trans How people. How did you
0: feel about the Facebook post, uh, that you, you, you had a Facebook post?
1: The biggest lesson I learned, Jimmy, is that I'm not a kid anymore, and I'm. it's not funny. I don't get to just go, oh my God, look at this thing somebody made. Is so- it a... I, it was, it was a,
0: so people that don't know, can you just tell yes.
1: us? Okay. So, okay. So transparent, of course, we know it. it's my show. I'm so proud of it. I love it. I love the art. I love the marketing. And this was on a day when I, it was, I think it was about 24 hours before the news broke that Bruce Jenner was going to be coming out. Mm-hmm. And so I was getting all of these phone calls that Bruce was coming out. And of course for the past year, people have been telling me that Bruce is transitioning. Um, But that day I was getting a lot of phone calls. So I think in my mind, I thought that Bruce had already come out, you know? Mm -hmm. Bruce hadn't come out, but the press was like a day ahead of it. So they were all calling me and I was saying, you know.
0: They wanted you to comment. Yes. For quotes in the paper. Exactly. And I was saying,
1: you know, I can't say anything. I don't want to say anything. And then somebody showed me that artwork, which was a version of our transparent artwork. But they had put in the Kardashian family. I'm like a crazy reality fan. I love the Kardashians. I mean, if I, w- I would knock you over to get to Khloe Kardashian and hug her. I would knock you to the ground, even though I haven't seen you in a while. Um, I love reality, reality television. So I got so excited, you know, like the 16-year-old version of myself. It was sort of like, I think I was like, I'm a Kardashian now, mm-hmm. you know. Like, I thought it was like, oh, the Soloways and the Kardashians have something in common. And I just was, like, blinded by ignorance, my own ignorance, and blinded by my starfuckeriness about, like, how excited I was that a fan had mashed up these two shows. And I wasn't thinking at all about the trans politic of it. And it was completely wrong to do that, to post it. I posted it asking people what they thought of it and then went into the writer's room, you know, went to work and we do these 50 minute sessions where we where we all leave our electronics out of the room and within that 50 minutes things blew
0: up and what happened um
1: so trans activists accused me of making that I think people thought I made that artistic meme, that piece of art. or it, But the fact that I posted it was bad enough. And yeah, I was accused of bullying. And what did Bruce you feel Jenner.
0: after you, you, you heard well, all this? felt it.
1: horrible. Yes, mm-hmm. of course. I mean, I took it down immediately. I realized that I was in the eye of a huge shitstorm, that it was really my first time experiencing that. Like, there's this thing that happens, this, you know, call-out culture, pile-on culture, trolling. It's. I'm actually going to speak about it tonight at Northwestern, mm-hmm. this thing that kind of um, has become a bit of a diversion for... You know radical leftist outspoken progressive people who are working on social justice movements we all get really distracted by the ways in which people get called out for getting certain aspects of social justice movements that aren't our own wrong you know what happened to patricia arquette after the oscars i mean did you see what happened no i didn't so she won and made this amazing amazing speech about women and then she went backstage and she said to the press room something that was very off the, top of, off the top of her head. Okay, you know, this is great for women. And by the way, like women, we've been helping black people and gay people forever. So now it's your turn to help us. And like, you know, she got completely wrecked by the Twitterverse within seconds and over the next few days. And so she was a hero for a moment because she was talking about feminism. And then seconds later, she was under the bus you know, she was thrown under the bus. And it happens, it's happening all the time. It happens to Lena Dun- It happens to people all the time. Lena Dunham and anybody, I think, who has any kind of public profile, part of, I think, the deal is you're going to be in the on the fast cycle, in the dryer, tum- on the tumbler, the tumble cycle of the dryer, where sometimes you're going to be lauded and people are going to hand you a Golden Globe and sometimes people are going to be, like, trying to get you under the bus so they can laugh at how you look with tire tracks on your face.
0: And you wrote a really nice apology on Facebook. Yes, and, uh, and and did the haters go away from that? Or? It, it
1: went away a couple days later. But you know what? Actually, if you Google me, it's like the fourth thing that comes up now. It's before any before anything else.
0: It's always going to be there. How do you feel about that? I mean, sad. It makes yeah, me
1: sad. But you know what? I, I don't know what in to your do. Eyes. Yeah, it's horrible. At the same time, part of who I am is like a shit starter, and part of who I am is you know transparent happened because I wanted to disrupt the way TV star, TV mm-hmm. works. Mm-hmm. And there's so many, there's so much in the sense of humor of Transparent that is me going, ah, I'm a kid, you know, I'm so th- so I feel like I have to give up my sense of um a sense of sort of whimsical, fucketness, which is part of my voice if I want to be careful, and I think I need to be careful now. I'm, I'm an older person now. I'm a I'm a lady. I'm not a kid anymore. Right.
0: And so how do you like? It's so it, sad. It is sad, and it's sad. Um... But
1: I I don't, if there's anybody who's listening who's part of the trans community, it's not, I'm not saying it's sad. I don't want anybody, I'm so, I'm even afraid somebody's going to take that and criticize me. But
0: I think you're, what I'm hearing is, you're sad, you feel sad about what happened.
1: I feel sad about what happened. I feel sad about anybody's ability to, I can't, I can't. I can't use social media the way that I did a year ago where I was like, I have a thought and I'm going to put it out there.
0: So how does that affect your creativity?
1: Well, I have to just put my creativity into the show and into my writing and not, I can't be tweeting or Facebooking things that are controversial.
0: For me, that would be very sad. Yes. You know.
1: I was thinking. I was asking people, like, should I do Candy Crush? Like, what should I do besides Twitter and Facebook? You know, and Instagram, because I can't. They're, they're, I can't. The enjoyable part is, I say this thing, I see what happens, and I can't do that anymore. But
0: but it's almost a byproduct of becoming more famous and more more established. Yeah, and
1: in a very political scenario, you know, I'm not. I, I'm not. You know. I'm. I'm not a singer songwriter. I'm not. You know, an actor. I'm a showrunner on a show about. Trans people, and that's a very touchy political world right now. And I, I'm happy to be called out as somebody who's not trans, who's become somebody who's carrying the mantle of trans people. I'm fine to be called out, but it, it's um, it's it has its effects, a uh, chilling effect.
0: Yes, it does. <laughs> if you will, um, uh, let's go back to the annoyance for just a second, okay. the real life Brady Bond. Okay, because. Um, here was this show, huge success here in Chicago. It was, for people that don't remember, it was basically you took the transcripts from the Brady Bunch and you put them up on stage. Right. And you're directing with your sister Faith, um, and you had never directed before, right? That's correct. So at this point, and this is, goes back to the confidence, how did you have the confidence to go, you know what, I'm, I'm ready to direct. I have no improv experience. I have a little film experience. But you know how the improv community is. Yeah. And you're like, you know what? I'm gonna do this.
1: It was that sisterly friendship between Faith and Becky and Melanie where Melanie Hutzel. Melanie Hutsal. Yeah, where we were just operating from a place of making make our best friends laugh. You know, Becky's cracking me up. I'm gonna I want her to be on stage so everybody can see this.
0: And, and then she was basically screwing around in your apartment doing yes. her Marsha Brady improv. Yes.
1: Yeah. Actually, it was strange. She was doing Jan Brady. She ended up okay. playing Marsha. I don't know. Early days, okay. Becky played Jan, and Fran Adams was Marsha. Okay, those so, are the lost tapes. All right. So
0: when the book is written,
1: <laughs> <laughs> first couple months. Right. So Becky. And Steve Carell
0: was in. Steve Carell
1: was Greg a little, for a little while. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now he's famous. Everybody's right. famous. And
0: Jane Lynch was always. She was always Carol. Carol. Carol Brady. She's famous. Yeah.
1: Do you guys? Do you ever? Do the people who are not Chicago, Chicago ever look around and go, "Everybody got famous." It was um, weird, right? We didn't know that everybody we were with was about to be famous. I always
0: go like, w- "What did I do wrong?" That's uh-huh. what well, I do. Well, you stayed
1: here. You could be famous if you moved to LA. Yeah,
0: but yeah, that's what what I do. That's that's how I handle it. Yeah. But when you look back at that time, it's it's pretty amazing. Like Andy Richter, yeah, Melanie Hutzel, uh Beth Cahill. I mean, all of those people around Miss Vagina yeah. and the Brady Bunch, uh, you know, went on to to do really yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you just. You you started to direct, to direct that. Yes. And then it becomes this huge hit. It goes to New York. Yeah, when you say
1: I didn't direct anything, I'll have you know that when Faith and I were little, we were putting on plays in the neighborhood. Okay, I did not
0: get that in my research.
1: Very confidently uh-huh. putting up productions of Wizard of Oz mm-hmm. at maybe the ages of seven and eight. Okay. With all the kids in the neighborhood for all the neighbors. What was your
0: home life like?
1: <laughs> so... Uh, okay. I, that's, I, well, that, I did feel like I had the right somehow to produce and direct content from uh, a young age. Okay, okay. <laughs> I don't know why. I think I was born with that.
0: Really? Yeah. You know what I always admire about you two is your willingness to promote yourself. Uh-huh. You know, <laughs> Just
1: say I'm an awful self-promoter.
0: Oh, you're kidding me. You think you're an awful self-promoter? Well, there are,
1: I know there are people in my life who think I should just shut up already.
0: Don't you think that's part of your success?
1: Probably, but so it was also part of Hitler's success. That doesn't mean it's good.
0: Are you not comfortable <laughs> being? A, are you not comfortable being a good no, self promoter? Like I
1: had, I had a friend of mine who was like, I was talking to her about some things that were going on in my life, and she's like, "Look, you know what? Your life is turning out so well. You must be doing something right. You must be a good person. People like your stuff." And I was like, "People liked Hitler's stuff." Doesn't doesn't matter that I have a lot of fans.
0: Do you have a hard time taking in the success? <laughs> Do you honestly? Right, because I, I'm is comparing
1: like, myself to Hitler.
0: Yeah, you're comparing yourself to anyone who compares to, herself to Hitler I, cannot be enjoying their I success. I have to check.
1: I just have to check myself and make sure that I'm doing the right thing instead of just notice that there are fans.
0: Okay. So maybe when you won the Golden Globe, you should have said, you know, Hitler could have won one of these. I don't, you know. If it's
1: just about how many people think I'm right, yeah, this I could be Hitler right now.
0: Mm-hmm. So so the Brady Bunch <laughs> leaves Chicago, goes to New York and L.A., right? It, it's yes. a huge hit. What? Do you, and you're now working with people in New York. It goes from a small theater in Chicago. Yeah. You're dealing with record uh, promoters. Ron
1: Delsner. Ron Delsner. He just called not long ago.
0: And he wants you to put it up again.
1: Yeah, no, yeah. He's like, oh, ah, yeah. we should bring put the Brady Bunch back up again. How what did you j-?
0: learn about show business? Because I think you you got a baptismal by fire, didn't when you? When we went
1: to New York, when
0: you went to New York, you had to leave the annoyance, which I know wasn't an easy. That thing. was
1: it, it, hopefully somebody will make a movie of that one day. That was like what a, was hard about that? That was a, sort of like a civil war, but it was yeah. A, I, 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 I felt bad for you. the North and the South. I felt bad for you. Yeah, I got I got blamed. I to, I, you got blamed for. Splitting the theater.
0: And what do you, today, how do you look at that?
1: You know, I look at things from a sort of larger place. Mm -hmm. I don't really look from the sort of interior place. Mm -hmm. So I look at it as a, I look at this kind of more of a movement over 10 years. Okay, Mm -hmm. so there was the Annoyance Theater. And the Annoyance Theater was a growing place. Um... I heard that any time an organization has over a hundred members, it changes. Mm-hmm. So it was probably getting to a place where it had over a hundred members. Enter me and Faith. And Faith was part of Coed Presents Prison Sluts. Right, and, and the original people that yes. had started the theater. Yeah. So it's Faith and Mick and Eric, mm-hmm. and then so I look at I look at Faith and Mick and Eric and Howard and Joe doing their thing, and. Um, I don't really see it as a gender thing. I think of it as a sister thing. You know, Faith's sister. She and I started creating together. Suddenly, there are these competing kind of leaders. Faith was sort of a beta to Mick. You know, she was Mick's right-hand woman in some ways. You know, getting on the piano and making everything hilarious Mm -hmm. with music the way Faith did. Writing songs. And just Faith at the side of a show just made everything good, you know, splatter, you know, if you could if you if you wanted to just do anything right now, you could read the phone book and if you had faith on a piano to the left of you, it would be good. Right. You would know it would be good. Mm-hmm. You'd have so much fun reading the phone book. Mm-hmm. So faith is like this really powerful presence. Sometimes I think of her as just faith. Like liquid faith. Mm-hmm. Like she gives she's she has faith in you. You get up on stage and it's good. So I think faith felt like she really enjoyed doing those things with Mick, and then she also really enjoyed doing those things with me. And the, the things with me were Vagina Pageant and Brady Bunch, and the things with Mick were Splatter and co Prison Sluts. <clears throat> Do you really think your audience cares about this, by the way? I, I will find You might. out. You can cut all this out. Um, and, yeah, I think that... Are you
0: uncomfortable talking about No, this? not okay. at all. I
1: think, I think for anybody who was there, it felt like the most exciting, interesting, crazy time. But anybody who wasn't there, I wonder if this is interesting.
0: Well, I think what's important about this is that... You're you're where you're at today, and it was not an easy road. Mm -hmm. Even when you have success with the Brady Bunch, and you you make a choice to go to New York Mm -hmm. and and essentially get bigger, Mm -hmm. there's some fallout.
1: Yes. Yeah, I mean, so the Brady Bunch started to get bigger, and at some point there was a political conflict between me and Mick as to how to um, promote or brand or monetize all of this attention. And, yeah, at some point I... Decided to kind of go my own way rather than going Mick's way. And people... Was that a
0: hard decision for you?
1: I, I think I've got some... We, as I said, I, have, I think I have this low-level Asperger's where I don't really notice when people are mad at me. So I sort of blindly and guilelessly but fumble forward. And then I look around and I'm like, oh shit, half of the people in this theater hate me.
0: Did you feel hurt? Like, if it was me, and I, I, believe me, I was at the annoyance. I felt hurt plenty of times, didn't feel appreciated. That's my stuff, I'll own it. Yeah. Did you feel hurt? It's like you're taking these group of people, people that weren't ever making money in theater, now they're making money. This could be a great thing for the theater. Yes, and
1: I got, I got, yeah, you
0: got, like, taken down. Yeah. Did you feel hurt at all?
1: No, I think I identify li- probably a little bit, but I think I identify somehow with being the person who's willing to like walk out into the traffic in some sort of you know way to protect people who need protection. I think
0: I've got. Some. And where does that come from? Because you're very you're a leader, number one. Mm-hmm. I, I really believe, and but you're always looking. You you know, be it feminism, being yes. transgender, being sexuality, yeah. you're always there to protect people.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I was born that way. I meant my mom raised me in faith to really believe that the um, civil rights movement was going to cause a revolution that was going to happen. So we were little kids, you know, licking envelopes and filling, you know, and putting stamps on things with little sponges and and helping me, you know, my mom's civil rights activism animated the whole house. And I think we really believed that there was going to be a revolution and that there was going to be integration and that, you know, we lived in a mostly black neighborhood. The Black Panthers were heroes. I mean, I grew up as part of a sort of revolutionary mindset, so maybe that was part of what, um, what I believed about, you know, what it was
0: important to do in life. Does that work in Hollywood?
1: It, did, it does now. It didn't for a while. I, I look back now and I remember having gone on meetings and saying to people at Fox, I want to do something nobody's ever done before and I want to change the world. And them going like, great, um, is, can we get the script by next Friday? And, you know, having a friend say, don't say that on meetings anymore. Just, you have to say things that are going to make them think they're going to make money. You know, if you if you want to change the world, if you want to do things nobody's done before, just keep that to yourself, you know. Like, I'm, the point of a meeting is to help the people who are meeting with you understand where the financial upside is. It's a business. So... I couldn't really stop saying that, though. I kept saying, I always did okay. You know, I always sold some scripts here and there, but I never had that moment in the sun like I'm having right now.
0: Even when you were writing for, like, Graves Anatomy and uh, Six Feet Under?
1: Well, Six Feet Under was a great time because it was like college for me. I was learning how to make television. Everything I do on Transparent I learned on Six Feet Under,
0: for and, sure. And it was interesting because you said that your big break really came. You were writing for an awful sitcom. Awful sitcom. Uh, do you want to name that awful sitcom? It was uh,
1: called The Nikki Cox Show. Okay, it was called Nikki. It was starring Nikki Cox. I don't Cox. even know who
0: Nikki Cox is. Google her. Okay. You, does not, on your face, does not look like a good experience at all. Well,
1: it was a comedy show, and I don't think she's a comedian, so. But um, she had enormous natural breasts. Okay. So that was, and she, and, and she played a dancer on the show. So I think a lot of our audience was just watching her tits move.
0: Okay. So a lot of tight <laughs> shots of her, like, let's tight, get her in a dance game.
1: Wide, medium, all kinds of
0: shots. <laughs> okay. So you're writing for the show. You're hating it, hating it, hating it. And you yes. write this essay. Yes. That you consider uh, about Courtney Cox's uh, asshole. Right. And you consider that your big break in L.A. <laughs> Why was it your big break?
1: Okay, well, I wrote it for Becky. So, again, Becky Fire standing there and me going, I just want to make Becky laugh. And I just want to put Becky on stage and say, to d- say and do something where I can sit in the audience and laugh. Do so you was... get a
0: little? Do you get? Do you get a little power off that? No, nope. it's just
1: she's the funniest person, so mm-hmm. I love writing for her. You know, I think of her more as a muse. There are certain people who are actors and who are comedians. Who I'm a writer and director. You know, I don't. I don't think of it as a sort of dom sub thing. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I just want to laugh. Okay. I often think to myself, what would make me leave my house? It would be Becky Thayer saying these words. So you know what I mean. Like that's kind of um, that was the real life Brady Bunch. That was the Miss Vagina Pageant. That was Courtney Cox's asshole. Mm-hmm. I wrote it for her to say.
0: And tell us a little about, for people that do know, know about it. Oh, it was that.
1: like this monologue from a woman who was Courtney Cox's personal assistant. And she was having a really hard time with her job. And she's just kind of complaining. And, and uh, her, the main structure of the story is that a rumor has broken out that Courtney Cox bleaches her asshole which by the way I had heard that rumor about another actress. Okay. Probably I shouldn't say her name, right? No. I would have 5 years ago I would have just spat out that name.
0: Well, I yes, you, we're getting older.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but so yeah. And you know what?
0: Uh, let me answer this. To be honest, when you get successful, is there a part of you like I I don't I don't want to jeopardize this. I've worked so hard to get here. I'm not going to say something stupid to to jeopardize it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yes and no, you know, when transparent ended in October. We were done shooting. It was out there. Everybody had seen it. So between then and we started working again in March. Like October, November, December, January, February, I had nothing to do. So I was making videos with people and I recently made a video a month or so ago where we built a giant vagina and another friend of mine who's an actress her name is Mel, she suited up and ends, she enters the giant vagina and tries to make it ejaculate. Mm-hmm. So in doing so, we learned a lot of stuff about women's anatomy that hasn't isn't t- taught in schools. Mm-hmm. It's so educational. It's educational, sort of like schoolhouse rock. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, we found this. We named this portion of the body it's the vaginal clitoral vulval complex. We named it the VCVC because most girls or women think that there's a whole bunch of different things down there, and this one does that, and this one does that. But we un- united it, and you know, there's something in. The internet today, MarieClaire.com saying transparent creator Jill Soloway makes ejaculation video. So I'm clearly not that invested in protecting my fancy brand. I'm more interested in being alive as an artist and exploring. And there are so many things that are shocking to me that for one, that there is a part of women's bodies that, you know, just gets left out of books. Like? All of this stuff. There's a vagina, there's the vulva, and then there's the clitoris, which has all of these things that
0: are attached to and it. And you think they just, they oversimplify it.
1: Well, there's like wings on the clitoris. Right. There's, there's bulbs. Mm-hmm. It connects to the G spot. There's a whole complex in there. You can see how excited I am. Yes. This is news. Right. I feel a little bit like Cl- Christopher, Christopher Col- Cl- Col- Columbus. Right. <laughs> um, I have no choice but to head down this road of exploration and, and try to understand why people would be keeping women from information about their own pleasure. It's, I feel like an explorer.
0: Um, I
1: can't, I can't be stopped.
0: You you, you cannot be stopped.
1: <laughs> I wish I could. I can't be.
0: Um, so <laughs> let's go, let's get to transparency. Okay. Okay. Um, your dad comes out to you. Yes. Uh, be, why am I uncomfortable talking about that
1: well the best the best thing to say uh in terms of the trans politics are my parent came out to me. Y-
0: your parent came out to you Do you remember you're probably
1: uncomfortable because they're', they're it's a, you have to be careful right yeah so Get uh, it right um, that's okay
0: so d- can you tell me when he he told you
1: when they told me they told you. <laughs> Um, Thanks I've, for that's uh, okay. Out. I appreciate that. it's it's uh it's important to because I think America
0: not... uncomfortable with this. Sure, topic, don't well, you think? Yes,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, you have to. It's an interesting thing. You don't want to misgender people, you know, and people are tra- when people are trans, you knew them as another gender, and then you know them as a different gender. So, yeah, that's new new work for people to do is to shift somebody's gender in their mm-hmm. head, but it's not as hard as being trans.
0: So. he he, how did he tell you
1: um sorry to keep correcting you okay how did they tell me
0: how did they tell you I appreciate this (laughs)
1: that's okay or how did she tell me
0: how did she tell you
1: there you go how did she tell me Uh, she told me on the telephone
0: so not like the TV show not like in the episode yes
1: so in terms of the uh, the telling and the coming out that's a private thing for my parent Mm -hmm. mm-hmm I don't want to be, you know, I think the TV show is my fictional version of that. But in terms of my own parents' privacy, I don't really want to talk about the moment that they told because trans people get enough of people being all excited about the coming out moment Mm -hmm. and the sort of drama around the before and after, the drama around how did you tell, the drama, you know, those are the kinds of sensational things that cause trans people's stories to get, um.
0: So let's focus on you. Okay. How did you feel about it when you heard it?
1: Um, that's also private. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's also private because so much of our family um, history was evolving. So mm-hmm. I think what I tell people is the way I felt about it can probably be figured out by watching Transparent.
0: And then when do you, so you, when do you take this information and go? You know what? I'm I'm inspired to write something about this.
1: That happened pretty immediately. I've been I, I was processing it and imagining artistic, artistic versions of it right away. Faith and I were going to do a musical documentary, <laughs> and shot stuff. Mm-hmm. Still so have footage of my sister and I creating a musical documentary about my parent coming out. That was in the first year. Uh, yeah, that's that's the way I process everything is by art making. And
0: since I'm such a people pleaser, okay. did you go to your um, to your parent and say, There you go. Thank you. Uh, look, I'm doing this. I just want to let you know. And, and because you don't want to yes, upset yes. anybody.
1: Yes, all the way through the process.
0: And would you like... Because I've done stuff before that's autobiographical. Mm-hmm. Got in trouble, like when my dad went to prison. And there's so much shame involved in something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, do you recommend people, if they're going to take something from their real life, to to mention it to the person that they're going
1: to? Not always. I think you have to decide what you want. I think if you...
0: So in this situation, why did you feel it was important?
1: Um... I tried to be careful and you know there's my story and there's my parents story mm-hmm. and actually this is what we're doing story about in season two Allie's going to be doing a documentary about Mora, mm-hmm. and trying to figure out how much she can film her mom um her mapa um so yeah there's my story there's my parents story and so I don't know it's a good question I mean um you know, I didn't I didn't see the thing you did about your dad being in prison. Uh-huh. I wish I had.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: My immediate guess would be that if you were processing with your dad around how he felt about your piece, that would be more about your relationship with your dad and less about whether or not the audience was getting... You know, whatever it is that's your art making, your freedom to do your show... Um, your, where does your dad Is your dad still alive He's still alive yes And so would he have Known about it If you hadn't told him Oh yeah him? He,
0: he knew about it yeah. But would he
1: have Known about it If you hadn't told him
0: Uh, Yes he would have Known about it
1: How would he have Found out
0: Um, In the paper mm-hmm. It was like in the reader And, stuff and he like lives it. in Chicago He lives in Chicago Yeah And then Quickly after that He went and did 33 months in prison
1: Yeah I mean I, I think That the fair thing To do would have been To have told him You know A week or so Before it came out but not at the point when you're writing it, not at the point when you're thinking about it, not at the point when you're gestating. See, that's what, the that's the part to me that I think is dangerous for artists.
0: And and, and I'm going to ask you about this, and I'm being totally respectful. I'm just sharing my process because when it when with my dad, I still had so much anger mm-hmm. about it, so I didn't have that perspective on it. Mm-hmm. Did you need time to be like, okay, I'm going to process all my feelings, all this information, and then I'll have perspective? Like I have this idea that I, I want to use that, or could you? Could you separate? Yeah, it was a
1: couple from... years later. Okay, it was a couple years later when I started writing. Because my... I, had, I had the idea immediately, but it took a while for me to write. You it.
0: knew that, that this wasn't I going was going to like, be.
1: It. Yeah, I was like, this is. I'm going to write about this. Yeah.
0: And what do you hope people watching this show, what they're going to get out of it?
1: What I, I mean, there's certain things that people say that I love that make me really happy. Um, let's see. Norman Lear talks about it like All in the Family. He says, you know. It's a show that's about a family where there's lots of love, but it's got a really political message in there and it changes people. So I love the fact that it's, that Norman Lear sees it as being important, like, you know, all in the family. Um, I love when I, I meet people all the time who go, I came out last year and I came out as gay, trans, queer, bi, somebody told me, to my family by asking them to watch the show. So people are, are using it as a way to start a conversation about unconditional love, conditional love. What else do I hope people? That get almost out of it? seems
0: like for you, and I'm totally I'm totally throwing this on you. Throw but it, it almost seems like that to you is more satisfying than making people laugh.
1: Yeah, and, and I think doing that with laughter, you know?
0: And how do you do a, such a touchy subject like this? Right now it's very a very touchy subject. Yeah. How do you do it? And I almost think of the what you did on Facebook is like we're all as a country trying to figure out mm-hmm. what the line is. You know, um, how, how do you how do you make it funny and still be respectful and still be realistic? Because your show is very, very realistic.
1: Yeah. Well, there are so many moments that have happened in my life and in Faith's life that we can give to the Fefferman children, you know, about um, about every aspect of it. People who I know whose parents are trans watch and they go, oh, that yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, you know, there's just a million things that happened in our in our lives that that we can put in the show. Um I don't really think too much about being respectful or funny. I think about something being true. And I noticed that my So I think about something being true. I noticed that my directorial writing voice, my directorial voice involves is about 95% composed of casting people who I find really funny but I don't think much about making them be funny or getting it to be a certain kind of funny. I write things. I work with actors that where I try to have them make it seem true to me. So if I'm giving them direction, I'm trying to feel like if I believe it or not. And then I let the funny take care of itself because I've cast funny people. Do you
0: let people improvise on the set? Oh, yeah,
1: all the time. We're always just trying to crack each other up. So it's, like, so- it's like Carol Burnett's show. All we do is try to say... say, say things to each other jeffrey Tambor is the funniest person in the world uh, he is he is. Crazy. so i'll you know he, he's doing a scene with <laughs> with alexander billings who's also from chicago. chicago so i'll go up to jeffrey and be like can you can you can you say dungarees again but just make a big deal out of the word you know like he'll he'll throw you know dungarees in i'll be cracking up watching because maura just said dungarees to talk about you know what josh is like he's always wearing the new dungarees Instead of the newest jeans, we're impor- just we're just laughing the whole time.
0: How important was uh, Jeffrey Tambor to cast? A hundred percent. I mean, because there's no other person. D- was it down to him and somebody there else? There was nobody else.
1: It was always. And him. what
0: was it about him that you're He's like? He's so
1: much like my parent. There are so many things that that my parent does that I that Jeffrey can get the comedy of exactly. I was just um, <laughs> I was just driving with my parent. We were going to our old neighborhood, and and. <laughs> And I'm gonna have to put this in the show, but I was in a rental car. The the door opens, you know, for my parent to get in and out of the car. And and because my my parent is like over six feet tall, and there's the door is pretty small. Every time that my parent had to get in and out of the car, there would be different versions of I know this is the radio, but one. And we're on, on the bed, just so people. Yeah. Know, so the, you know, the door opens, right. and can't and my parent just can't get out like this. But so they try a sort of limbo thing like this in the snow. Trying to get out of the car,
0: like they're going under a limbo stick.
1: Yes, and then the other time trying to get down, but they And I'm just—I can't wait to give that to Jeffrey to do. Can't wait to write that into something of, you know, Allie driving Mora around and and having you know having a car that's too small for Mora. And I know that Jeffrey Tambor will understand the physical comedy of that perfectly, you know.
0: Okay, I want to talk <laughs> about the kids for just a second because the kids <laughs> seem so self self-absorbed. Yes, yes. You're not that way.
1: I, I, yeah, some, you probably should talk to people who know me better. You
0: consider yourself self-absorbed?
1: Pro- probably. We're getting along so well right now because so I'm talking about myself. Okay. Yeah, if, if you had... if you if Like you were, a
0: long-term relationship, this no, would work. No, if you were
1: sharing your needs with me, I would be probably five minutes in ready to... So
0: which, which, <laughs> so which one of the kids is you?
1: I think I'm all of them. I think okay, and what part
0: do you put in each of the kids?
1: A little bit of everything. And Faith is some of the people. Faith is like Allie. And so, we're, you know, they're all, all I can't, of me. Faith is so sweet. Yes, but, you know, when you look at the way Allie moves through the world, Allie's wallet, Allie's backpack, Allie's clothes, Allie's just kind of, she sees the guy behind the counter at the deli and she thinks about him. You know what I mean? Just this kind of over, over-empathy with everybody, which, you know... Um, can be distracting.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to. We got to wrap this up. This is oh, fun. Gosh. I have a couple more questions okay. to that ask. That um, How important has it been for you uh, to create your own stuff? Because I would imagine at one point when you you've done Six Feet Under, you've done Grey's Anatomy, you could have just been a showrunner. For another show. Yes. You decide to do a movie. Yes. An independent film. Yes. Uh, Thank
1: you for keeping track of my career, I, no, Jimmy.
0: No problem. I appreciate it. You're one of the few people I'm not jealous of. I'm oh, like, good. Come on. Keep keep do going. Do more. Yes. Yeah. Um, do people hit you up for work? All the time. And how, how do you Five, handle that? Five, ten times a day. I mean, people from Chicago. All the time. And how, what's the best way to do it? Because right. I have a lot of people on the show. You'll ask them. And this is something I struggle with have a hard time asking their friends that become successful.
1: Well, I don't think there's much to ask. I don't think anybody should ask a friend. Is that your phone? No. I don't think people should ask yes, for help. Yes, it health. is my phone. Okay, yeah. here's the thing. A, when people send me an email, and they want to take me out for coffee to okay. pick my brain. There's always the offer of coffee for brain pickings. I don't need coffee. There co- there's coffee everywhere. Coffee in my house. There's coffee in my office. I also have the $3.25 if I wanted to purchase coffee. I don't need coffee. So I don't know why people offer me coffee. Okay, they think that the coffee, there's always an offer for coffee to pick my brain. I'm never gonna do that with anybody. I do have an email I send people with advice about how to get started. And so that's the, what I send people. And then um, in terms of people who, like right now I have a I have a, a thing called TV. Trying to start my own network, and the peep, and you know what I love what people do? When they email me, and they go, "I have a whole series, and I already it's written, it's produced, it's ready to go. Put that wifey name on it. It's all yours. Take it. That's a really good way to.
0: But what about somebody who calls you? You worked with them from Chicago. Be- Becky Thayer calls. Becky say, Thayer. Hey, you're doing real well. If there's a part I'd love to come in and Oh
1: yeah audition. sure of course I bring back in for a part yeah that's mm-hmm. cool I, I go great and then I I, I will you know I'll, I'll ask her to keep an eye on the breakdown so that if she sees a part that she's right for to let me know you know it's better it's better for people to know what the parts are then she can call me and go hey I saw this thing about the you know school mom get but, me in that that's easy you know I prefer that
0: because the coffee thing you don't think is direct
1: I don't have time I don't even have time I, I just I love you that's why we're doing right, this right Thank I mean you. I I'm appreciate so that. overwhelmed with work and then uh, people asking me to speak and then um I'm writing a movie and then you know I'm a parent to two children and I'm writing yeah directing and I don't have time for one-on-one pep talks yeah I can't do that
0: um so I do
1: have a book and there are two chapters in tiny ladies in shiny pants called brain pickings So people can also buy the book for the brain pickings. It's a
0: great book, by the way. They can save the coffee. So getting back to the original question, how how, important would you be where you are today if you didn't create your own stuff?
1: No, I would not. That, that, That move from, I think I was running How to Make It in America... Which is? Which was a show on HBO. Okay. Where I was in this place where people were like, Jill really knows how to get a show up and running. She knows how to break a season. Let's have her do it with younger, fresh, or hotter, or
0: newer. What does break a season mean? Just
1: You put all the episodes up on the board like a grid, mm-hmm. 1 through 10. Put the characters down the left side of the left axis, the vertical axis. And then you break stories for the whole season. So Figure in episode
0: 3, we're going to do this. and episode 4, we Yes, have but to...
1: you look at it like one big story. Okay. So after ep- if it's 10 episodes, after episode... Two, you're into the second act, whatever. If you were writing a, a movie at thirty pages, you send to the characters on a second act journey. You do the same thing with the season. So
0: you're writing on that show. Yes. Probably executive producing. It. I was. Okay, and so you and you say to yourself,
1: I can't, I can't stand this anymore. I was basically in a Lena Dunham jealousy haze.
0: You were jealous of Lena Dunham.
1: Lena Dunham. Have you seen? Yeah.
0: I, Girls is great. It's great. You know. um... Tiny
1: furniture, girls, I wish I had made those things.
0: Is that what, is that, did her, pretty much, her jealousy, yes, okay, got you to say, oh, screw this, I'm going to make a movie myself, and follow the same path she did, yeah, have you ever talked to her, yes, and have you said, look, I was jealous of you,
1: I think, I have, yes, I have, and how'd she take it, she's like, oh, my God, you're crazy, I'm jealous of you, I love you, you're my inspiration, I'm like, you're my inspiration,
0: That is so interesting. Yeah. About like using jealousy for a good thing. Yeah. Because I use jealousy of just like beating myself up.
1: Yeah. Well, I was, I looked in particular at the way that she made art and I tried to imitate
0: it. And what is it that you like so much about her? She's she's just
1: so honest. She's, she, she, uh, it's something I like to call shame pride. mm Mm-hmm. She, she has a lot of shame pride and I, I think I, I, I needed some more shame pride.
0: I, I, I have plenty of shame. I just have to trans. Yeah. I just got to get it into. The shame pride. pride. The shame yeah. pride. To yeah. just transform it into shame yeah. pride. Plenty of shame. Got a yeah. farm with shame. That's
1: a shame farm. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, so, yeah,
1: all you need is the camera. That's like you just turn the camera on and then it becomes shame pride. So,
0: creating your own stuff, then you say, screw it, I'm going to make this movie with Jane Lynch.
1: Yes, I actually started making. I made a, I made a, a short before that. The okay.
0: Did to raise money for it?
1: No, just to make an attempt at directing and see what it would. Feel and that like. was the
0: first time you directed. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I, I got this. I know how to do this now. Okay. And then you go out and you raise money. Yes. And the movie does, critically does pretty well. Pretty well. N- not a box office span. No. How does that and set... And not
1: even a critical smash. A lot of people love it.
0: Gary R- Redorn loved it. Gary <laughs> okay. Rodoran okay. yeah. loved it. Yeah. 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 A um, lot of people
1: loved it. Some people hated it.
0: Okay. But how does that set you up then to pitch a, a series then to Amazon? Then when
1: I went on my meetings about this pilot, people were able to look at Afternoon Delight and say, oh, this is the tone. This is what it's going to be like. And you know, you won a directing award at Sundance for this, so it's probably good.
0: And then Amazon just opens the vault.
1: Then they opened the vault. They started just taking stacks one, of cash.
0: One episode, a lot of books. You got books and uh, uh, discounts on appliances, paper towels. Yeah.
1: I get. They have everything basically. I just get paid in Amazon, you know, Yeah. Microwave ovens.
0: Okay. <laughs> um, and how many? You've got like a lot of microwave ovens. Yes, okay. they've
1: sent me about three thousand microwave ovens. No uh, money. I have to resell them.
0: Okay, so so <laughs> your, Amazon says we'll do one episode, right? One episode, okay. pilot. Uh, what kind of budget?
1: Not supposed to say. Okay. But what would be? What would your guess be?
0: Uh, I would guess uh, between fifty and a hundred thousand dollars
1: for the pilot. Yeah. Okay. Was that low? Yes, yeah, pretty low. Okay.
0: 250000 yeah. Fifty. A little bit more. Three hundred. Keep going. A half a million. Keep going. Really? Yeah. And I'm totally surprised about this. Seven fifty. Keep going. A million dollars. Higher. A million point
1: two. Somewhere between there and two million.
0: You're kidding me. I'm serious. Wow.
1: Did it look that bad that I only spent no, $50,000 no, no, on no, the no, pie? No, 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 no. The thing is... I could have probably made it for 50000 actually. Yeah, if
0: you did in Chicago. Uh, we could have called in some favors. Mm-hmm. Um, no, because they had other people. Remember? It wasn't just you. There was like six or eight or ten or something like that? Yes. So I would have just thought... And, and they were new in the business, too. So I yes. thought they would have just been like, okay... Here's a hundred. Here's a hundred. Here's a hundred. Here's right. So they were serious.
1: They were serious. And for me, I had spent one million dollars ish on my movie, which was two hours long. This was a half an hour and more or less double that budget. I was super excited.
0: So it goes. It. it, it, it you make the pilot.
1: I made the pilot. Okay,
0: and then. Then we all vote, right? Yeah, do you remember? Did you watch it? I remember it? this. Yes, I watched did it. Did you
1: watch it on your computer or on your television?
0: I don't have a television, so okay. I watched it on my computer. And I remember thinking that uh, you did such a great job of getting the word out. Oh. And, and I'm wondering, it's a great show, had you not, you, you know, you hate yourself for being a, self, a self-promoter. But how much of that helped because then you got some 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 press people yeah. started to take notice. How much did that help you get that deal?
1: That self promoting.
0: Yes, because it, it, how many good shows have we seen over the years? Just they're great. Uh, Freaks and Geeks is a good example mm-hmm. of a show. Nobody cared. I mean, it was brilliant, and nobody cared about it.
1: Yeah, I think that there were a lot of things. There was a confluence of a bunch of things. You and my mom believe that my. And, my, and the Soloway family's social media pushed it over the edge.
0: Are you... Are we, are we... I
1: don't think that's the case. Okay. I like that you and my mom both think that oh, my we... Facebook and her Facebook and Faith's Facebook pushed it over the edge. But that's not true, I don't think. I think a few things were happening. Okay. okay. Uh, one was that um, the show was about a group of people... Quite a few groups of people who hadn't really had their show yet: uh-huh. trans people, right, gay people, mm-hmm. Jewish people, mm-hmm. women.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, when you say "freaks and geeks," people aren't going to really rally around. Oh my God, the nerds finally have their voice because. John Apata was doing th- something that was revolutionary, but it wasn't. It wasn't a rallying cry for people who were, right. you know, it was. Oh, these people are cool, but the people weren't feeling the urge to rally mm-hmm. like queer people mm-hmm. are feeling right now. Mm-hmm. Um, feminists are in a, ra- in a really rallying place where mm-hmm. they want to spread the word. Right. Okay, also what happened with Freaks and Geeks? There was no internet at the time for people to be tweeting, you have to see this, you have to see this, you have to see this. So we have a, a streaming, we have the the show playing on a streaming network, which is the internet, and we have social media, which is a way to interface with this streaming content where you can say, oh my God, you've got to see this. And it happened to be a time where people were really hungry for that content. So I think a bunch of things happened in the right place at And the right how time. do you
0: find those? Because it seems like you find those things at the right time. We go back to that. The... was an accident. You I happened to,
1: it... happen to be in the right place. I, I, didn't, I didn't cause my parent to come
0: out. Right. But what how about, what, let's then? go back to Brady Bunch. Right place at the happen, right time. Right place, right time. <laughs> Miss Vagina Pageant. Right pa- place, right time.
1: Is that the right time? I, I feel like this would be the right time for Miss Vagina Pageant. People care about feminism now. It was fun. It was fun. The show and did you, well.
0: And you had a, and your voice was was really 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 strong and clear. I
1: thank think. you. You thank know. Thank you. Yeah. But I don't know if that was the right place, the right time. It didn't blow up.
0: Like the Brady Bunch, blown yeah. up. Or like this is blown up. Correct. All right. We've got to wrap this up. Oh my God,
1: Jimmy! Thank you for coming. This is great. We're in the Hotel Felix, guys, in Chicago. Yeah,
0: and I'm not gonna give it. We don't need to talk about we it. We don't need to talk about it. I would have thought. And I'm not gonna say where you're speaking. They would have put you up in a nicer place.
1: Yeah, well i um, i had to I had to uh, get over a couple things, you know. That there's a vending machine in the hallway. It makes crazy noises all night.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's okay.
0: You said something off, thing <laughs> that you you, you got to get in a place to ask for the hotel you want to stay at.
1: Um. Well.
0: Do you have a hard time asking for what no, you want? No, I mean,
1: I, I I think also I booked this gig. Okay. Like. Maybe six months ago, mm-hmm. I wasn't a Golden Globe winner. Okay, I was just experimenting with registering with a feminist speakers bureau. Okay, so my price has since gone up, but I didn't want to hawk these people for my new standards. How
0: has your life changed since you won a Golden Globe?
1: Oh, do you, huh.
0: do you forget about it, or do you?
1: Yes, I mostly forget about it.
0: Are you serious? Yeah, you're not like driving. going, You know, I'm feeling a little down today, but you know what? I have a Golden Globe.
1: No, I don't do that. Don't do that. I think that I feel sometimes happier because I'm not desperately trying to get people to tell me that I am doing a good job anymore. I think I might have been a little hyper needy for positive regard at some point.
0: On this show? In life. Okay. The self-promotion. I've never seen that side of you. Okay, that's good. I've never seen that side of you. I just see this really (laughs) confident... I don't care if there's a shitstorm going on. I'm going to walk through that shitstorm. Really? That is I
1: love the way you see me. I, I honestly. And you I, don't that, think that makes me a bad person? You think it's I don't? Okay? I think
0: I would like to be more like you. Okay. I care too much of what other people think about okay. me. Okay. And I know you probably have feelings, and there's times where you're, you know, you're angry and sad about how people react. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, you get up the next morning and you go to the set and you continue to create. Yes, that's true. You know.
1: Well, I think that's because. I do still believe in that revolution. I do think there is a revolution revolution afoot, Mm -hmm. feminist revolution, queer people revolution, rights for people who aren't cis white males. Do you know what the word cis means? No. Not trans. Okay. So some people will call it the straight white male. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's time for other people to get a hold of the voice. Um, And so I believe that there's something much bigger going on. And then I look and go, I guess I happen to be one of the people who's... Was supposed to be carrying this mantle and it's kind of bigger than me and I don't really have a lot of choice. Do
0: you ever wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, I can't believe this. I am now yes tran- transgender How spokesman. Did be- How did this happen to me? Yes. Feminism I get. You know, I studied it, I, I you know it's something I believed in my whole life, but Well this- they go together actually. Okay.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of connection between trans politics and, and feminist politics. Um, and actually I read a book called Whipping Girl by Julia Serrano. And that really woke me up to the connection between trans misogyny and, you know, women's rights, and um, they go together. That helped me to understand that it wasn't some like oh now both. It's like oh yeah these all these these combine.
0: So you're you're comfortable with that? I part. guess so. You don't seem like you're. It's just like I guess so.
1: Well, it's really it's I'm not trans, and so I right. I I I sort of yeah I do take some shit. I, people on Twitter will be like stop speaking for us. Sit the F down, Jill Soloway.
0: And what do you say to those people? I just block. And what does block mean? Do you, you just
1: make it so you can't see their tweets oh, anymore.
0: God. I would not be on Twitter. <laughs> I know. But uh, we got to end this. Okay. But, uh, two, two, two quick things. The more successful you get, the more, not, the more praise you're going to get yes. and the more criticism. Yeah. Yes. Yes? And what do, you, what do you say to people that are afraid to get bigger because they're afraid of no. the criticism?
1: Yeah, I think if you if you feel like you're doing something important, then being afraid of the criticism, you know, that seems kind of petty. If I feel like I can make the world better for women, for queer people, for Jewish people, for people of color, by talking about, you know, what this thing I'm talking about tonight, this idea of intersectionality, how all these oppressed people have to connect, you know, that we all need to connect with each other instead of argue with each other. So I don't know. I'm sort of, like, guided by some idea that I might be helping. And to me, that seems more important than, you know self-hatred or fear
0: and then one last question what would you tell somebody starting out today who wants to do what you do in comedy
1: make stuff just make stuff get together with your funniest friends the people who make you laugh the people where you laugh so hard that you're crying you laugh so hard that you're peeing in your pants gather those people together in a room bring a camera turn the camera on film it then edit it and then show it to
0: people Jill Soloway, thank you so much for being our guest. (laughs) And there you have it, another episode of Improv Nerd is in the Can. And I want to thank our guest, writer, creator, producer of Amazon's hit series, Transparent, Jill Soloway. And check out Transparent on Amazon Prime. Uh, I loved it when she talked about it. I couldn't believe I was that far off on the budget on on the pilot episode. But it was nice uh, that uh, I guessed it right, I guess. I feel shame about that, that I guessed too low. Uh, anyways, uh, the shame continues here at Improv Nerd, but we're going to interrupt that for just a second and thank other people like Dan Schiffmacher. Dan, uh, our producer here in Chicago, he's the one who makes it sound so slick and so professional. You wouldn't be hearing my voice right now if it wasn't for Dan. Also, if you want more information about me, Jimmy Corine, and my award winning improv classes here in Chicago, The Art of Slow Comedy, and my Improv Nerd blog, which will make you a better improviser and a better person, well, The better person part is up to you. Go sign up for the newsletter at jimmycorain.com. That's jimmycorain.com. Also, check out our Facebook page, uh, Improv Nerd, uh, and like us because it really helps with my low self-esteem. Follow us on improv underscore nerd on Twitter and check out our YouTube channel. Also, we are lucky enough to be a part of a podcast collective at feralaudio.com. There's some innovative, hilarious, and unique podcasts there, go to feralaudio.com. I'd like to thank both our sponsors today, undertheguntheater.com. So, check them out for their uh, improv boot camp over the summer, uh, their summer intensive. Uh, go to undertheguntheater.com and the Westside Improv Studio uh, for classes and schedules. Uh, go to westsideimprov.com. And of course, I want to thank you. And until next time, remember walk, don't run. Let's say uh, Seinfeld was was on an island and he was blowing Boris Karloff. What would what would that be like?
1: (laughs) It might go something like this. Oh, Mr. Karloff, I loved you and Frankenstein. And I love giving you a blowjob.
0: Why, Mister Sunfield? I'd love
1: having you.